So welcome to this session again, and uh, a little bit of a struggle getting it together because the internet connection here is really pretty tenuous. You know, we just have a, a SIM card that, that links up for a phone network who has a telephone mast in a village about seven or eight miles away. So it's, it's, it's quite miraculous that we get anything at all. Uh, uh, and so it was this, this today, a lot of, most of the day we didn't get anything. And so we just this evening, we just managed to cobble something together and push some wires and push some buttons and get it up and going. And uh, it's, it's very much, it's just a shoestring kind of event really. Um, you know, good supporter in Singapore and prepared to host the session and uh, somewhere in America helping to put logistics and then somebody in Thailand doing looking after the sound so it can be recorded properly. <laughs> Me, that's it. <laughs> so, you know, it's what you... Uh, I think partly it's this um, kind of fragility of it all that makes it kind of both exciting and also really human, you know. Uh, this is not some big organization. Uh, and the fact that it happens at all is, is already quite a miracle. Uh, and so you kind of, to me, that gives it a certain, let's rise up, you know. This is not a guaranteed thing. Uh, it's not something that is casual event that you can do. And I've tried to time it an occasion when, you know, there's a good, range of people who can tune in yeah and those who can't tune in we record and put it on the monastery website and pick it up later but i hope it's helpful to really consider that this time the you know people in east asia and in west coast of america can be in the same dharma space so that is already that is already really beautiful and so much of our world is chopped up into nations and politics and this kind of ugly stuff really <laughs> and we meet and it's something rather beautiful uh, even though it's fragile yeah and what are we meeting for so today i'm going to um, look at a few pieces that help us to really understand the mind nature of mind from the Buddhist perspective, the Buddha's perspective, and also um, the emphasis on purification. Yeah. You know, Theravada particularly, since we Sudhimagga, path of purification, using that reference, and certainly it's a good way to look at enlightenment and liberation rather than, you know, um, some supernormal states, but actually this is really grounded stuff, like just clean out the rubbish, clean out the trash, uh, uh, and you're going to arrive at something rather beautiful that is then fit and capable of of realizing and eliminating um, these distortions and biases that sometimes we barely even recognize that they're there because the mind is so turbulent. So this turbulence or this impurities are things that then are seen as the primary focus to to eliminate so that we can see more clearly where these 
or underlying uh, biases called asava outflows or currents lie that, that sweep us along and we can got the strength and the power and the resources to pull out of that. Now here's a couple of um, analogies to consider. I think this is, you know, many of these suttas, you see the, the Buddha himself was on the road a lot of the time, so he only stayed in a monastery once a year three months the rest of the time is on the move so your chance of actually meeting the buddha weren't necessarily that good <laughs> you if you're lucky you know he was could then he'd be off somewhere else uh, so he'd often present things to different people in a way that was very concrete they could remember an image and i think this is part of the lasting value of many of these uh, suttas is that they're giving you quite a, a tangible image that you can consider. And this is this first image, series of images, is about qualities that we often are asked to consider. And these are the hindrances. And this one is from the Anguttara Book of the Fives, 193. Suppose there's a bowl of water mixed with lac, turmeric, blue dye or crimson dye. So you've got some water with coloration in it. If man with good sight could examine one's own facial reflection in it, you wouldn't see it as it really is. This is just like when your mind is obsessed with sensual lust, with sensual passion, with fascination, with sen the senses. You don't see, you don't see your mind as it really is. You see all these colors in it and you get fascinated by the colors. Yeah. Which, yeah. And then the second one, a bowl of water being heated over a fire, bubbling and boiling. If you were to look in your, your own face in that, you wouldn't see it because the water's all bubbling, hot. This is when one's mind is obsessed and oppressed by ill will. Yeah. Notice how these two things themselves, when we sense object, the first, you know, when we see that, we don't, we're not really looking whether we, whether we see our own face or not, we just want the pleasure of it, right? And we fascinate and we focus on that. And the sense of really reviewing your own mind, seeing your own face. What's that? Yeah. What's your own face? Yeah. And when you're irritated, annoyed, feeling gloomy or fed up, mind is oppressed with ill will towards yourself or towards others. Again, you don't see your own mind properly. You just see these problems and grudges and things to feel annoyed about and hurt by. So you lose focus. Um, a bowl of water, next image, a bowl of water covered over with algae and slime and water plants. So again, you don't see your face. This is when your mind is obsessed with dullness, like apathy, lethargy, indolence. Not just a lack of bodily energy, but actually like a certain psychological lassitude. You're not really making, you know, your mind isn't sharp or interested. 
it, it, it's sluggish. The third, another example, when a bowl of water is stirred by the wind, rippling, swirling, churned into wavelets, you still wouldn't see your face as it really is because all the ripples on the wall. This is when your mind is caught up with restlessness and worry. Isn't that good image? You know, it's constantly can't settle into anything at all. It's just wavelets. And so then we focus on trying to, you know, where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how to sort this out. Is this going to work or not? You know, we get absorbed into the wavelets, all this movement. You don't see something that's not moving, right? Still, not coloured. Last image, a bowl of water that's cloudy, turbid and muddy, placed in the dark. Cloudy, turbid and muddy, placed in the dark. <laughs> this is doubt, or so, uh, sense of lack of confidence. It's, you know, da -da, da -da, da -da. the mind is, is, isn't, is not, not inquiring, you know. So, this is these are the one you know observation on the problematical nature of of mind and yet you can see right there you've got the content which is these disturbances which are mobile they're colored they're hot they've got all kinds of characteristics to them that have a tendency to grab our attention and what we don't see is hey this is all happening to something as nature is potentially clear uh, so clear that you could you could see the truth in it and the other image to or analogy is a goldsmith this is from the Book of the Threes, there are two suttas here which are quite similar. Goldsmith preparing a furnace, heating up a crucible. He's got some ore, some raw material. And there are gross defilements in this material, soil, grit and gravel. First of all, you pour the ore gold ore into a trough and wash it and clean it to try to clear off the coarse grit and then still within that there remains some um, middle size defilements fine grit and coarse sand cleans it again and then there's the fine grit and fine sand black dust and cleans it again cleaning then suppose um, you take a furnace, a little crucible, heat up the crucible, put this material into it and blow on it, fanning it. So the, the ore is now being heated up, held in, held in a container and held in a steady warmth and you're just letting it cook. And you're just 
hope blowing, just encouraging. Then from time to time, you sprinkle some water on it. And sprinkling water, what it does to this molten ore, uh, you ever seen this, if you sprinkle water, what it does, it, all the kind of impurities then collect around the water, you get this um, dross, like a, that you can then skim off. It's like a, forgotten the word for it but you get like kind of this, all the all the crud and you throw the water onto it all the, it gathers around it, it coagulates and you can skim off you know this this um, dross so you sprinkle you heat it up and then you sprinkle water on it and then you you can keep cleaning it off then from time to time you sprinkle some water on it. Um, look at it. Um, it says, so you just review it with equanimity. Maybe then you see when's, when's the time, you know, how is it? And when's the time to you know, blow more on it or sprinkle more water on it? So you also just look back with equanimity even mindedness it's just this now it's just this now i think this um so it says if you but if you just only blew on it it's possible you kept blowing on this molten stuff it would it would catch fire it would burn up if you just kept sprinkling water on it, it would probably just cool it would cool down too much if you just looked at it <laughs> <laughs> nothing would happen really it wouldn't reach the right consistency so you've got to mix these methods uh, the warming blowing and uh, the uh, sprinkling water and then looking on and then if you do so the gold becomes malleable wieldy and luminous pliant and properly fit for work and whatever kind of ornament you want to make from that bracelet, earrings, necklace, gold rings, and so forth, you, you can do that. Now, this is, so this is the analogy for the mind. When you're devoted to the higher mind, mind like gold, mind like gold, luminous, radiant, malleable, pliable, you can do anything with it. Yeah, it's not sluggish and heavy and oppressed and brittle. Uh, if you're devoted to the higher mind or the purer mind, you should look at three particular characteristics. One is the characteristic of samadhi, settledness, consolidation, concentration. Is it all gathered together and properly kept together? You should also, from time to time, look at the quality of exertion, pagaha, and from time to time to the mark of the characteristic of equanimity. Now, if you only look at concentration, then it's possible that your mind will tend towards laziness. This is the way it's translated here. I've seen it uh, written as 
sluggishness, laziness, it becomes, there's no, um, it settles, but it, it's, you kind of get slightly lazy, you lose your edge, get too comfortable in it. If it's the only focus on exertion, it's possible that your mind will just become very restless. And if you focus on only on equanimity, then it doesn't really, you know, you don't get properly concentrated. Something has to say there is something to be done here. Yeah. It's not just, it's like that. Something to be done here. What is to be done? It's a gathered together, warmed, um, fanned and encouraged so that it begins to melt down. So if you do this, then your mind becomes malleable, wieldy, and luminous, not brittle, but properly focused, concentrated for the destruction of the asawa, the outflows, the fundamental taints. Then you're able to realize by direct knowledge in all kinds of psychic powers, but fundamentally, you're able to realize the, the wisdom and knowledge of freedom, liberation. Mm. Yeah. So, a couple of overriding comments there on this. First of all, in both of these uh, presentations, you get the sense in which the mind is seeing, or as really as like a material, water or gold, something that's fluid. Um, has a property to it so it's not just the constant flow of thoughts it's not immaterial yeah. so we might say immaterial means it's got no energetic effect it's just thoughts um, and the Buddha was quite clear and his practice was based on what we call between the material and the immaterial. Now, before he cultivated the right way, he took up this path where the material realm body is to be suppressed in order to get to the immaterial. So he was able to attain these states called nothingness and neither perception or non-perception and infinite consciousness, which sounds fantastic. Um, probably is <laughs> but he said it didn't lead to liberation so and what was being missed was there's an in intermediate realm called the fine material realm fine material realm is really to do with subtle energy so subtle energy can be experienced and the Buddha experienced it first of all through mindfulness of breathing so this quality of the mind, the breathing, which is of a material nature, it, certainly the physicality of the body produces it, but it also sends a particular energy through the body and through the mind that both brings them together. Yeah? The body is right there and you're feeling it. And the experience of the body becomes quietened and settled. The energy of the body begins to melt from being either tense and rigid or stale and sluggish or jangling. It melts down into something quite beautiful. And the mind itself dwells and lingers and is, is said to absorb into that. So you arrive at a quality called samadhi 
whereby the mental energy, instead of just winging around in the world of virtual reality, is, is gathered up and blended into the bodily experience, into this what called fine material, which is an energetic means. And the beauty of this is that in this uh, state, samadhi state, then the mind is contained but not crushed. Yeah. The body is contained but not suppressed. Instead they're blended together. And so it gives a certain vigour and nourishment to the body, the body feels bright, and it gives vigour and nourishment to the mind, the mind is bright, is pleasant. And therefore this quality of nourishment that occurs and also the range of experience that can be touched into from that place is huge and it's the, it's the place where one is able to witness on this fine material level exactly the effects of the hindrances and the effects of the defilements uh, and so witnessing their effects one is able to review that and look at the underlying qualities that give rise to that those those hindrances you know these these outflows the outflow of, of ignorance which is just not really paying attention to the quality of mind at all but just getting lost in thoughts and daydreams or sense desires um, what we want what we want to have um, sensuality and identity or becoming the sense of being a continuing ongoing being right these are the asana yeah. and so normally we don't really get to review that because we're dealing with what those bring up doubts about myself worry about myself criticism about myself or herself anything who are we talking about planning for the future remembering the past what are we talking about what future what past you know this is all the us of the outflow becoming that generates a sense of continuity and a personality now as long as that going on then we'll be abiding in that place where there's a person and a continuity and that continuity is being frustrated or encouraged or wanting more or wanting less so it becomes a place where these hindrances naturally crystallize or it's to do with finding pleasure in the sense realm where again these this greed and aversion are, are built into that and restlessness as well because we're searching for something and these hindrances that then make it impossible to really review the substance of mind because we're just looking at the froth the stuff the dye the algae the turbulences and getting involved with them identifying them and so we like, really got to hold the mind quite carefully so this is the mind as a subtle substance 
you know, the word mind really isn't so good, actually, because we're so, um, you know, so signify that term as a cognitive experience. Now we're looking at the property of awareness or heart and sentiency, where you feel ruffled, stirred, aroused, locked, rigid, happy, fluid, you know, just distracted and spinning around. That, that stuff, that is happening on the energetic level. Whatever the topics are, don't get lost in those. Containment, which is the crucible, you contain it with your sila, yeah, and with your sense restraint, and with mindfulness uh, of the body, particularly. And uh, you contain it with self-effacement, which is just rather than a constant, uh, what will I be, what, you know, you know, there are just qualities arising. So this helps to, to hold the mind really from these uh, places where it just gets lost. Once we start to think about ourselves, our personal selves, really the story is endless. But if we look at qualities, good, bad, somewhat embarrassing, rather beautiful, whatever they are, then the story is has got an end to it. This one, don't bother with. Pass it. This one, linger in. Right? So this sense of a containment through wisdom, as well as a containment through morality, and a containment through mindfulness. Um, and then purification can occur. Purification in terms of sila, purification in terms of samadhi, and purification in terms of banya. Process. As you can see, this the Buddha's talking about different qualities and different approaches. Um, and as we recognize, you can use any of these lists like the Indriyas, the powers such as faith, um, energy, um, you know mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, the enlightenment factors. Um, and these ought to be balanced judiciously. Saying, here we've got something, if one just, this is the sutta in the Sanyutta Nikaya, the book of 46, 53. When the mind is sluggish, it's not the right time to look at developing um, more settledness because it's already too settled. <laughs> or just be equanimous about it because it's already gone flat. When the mind is sluggish, it's time to develop the factor of investigation that, you know, stirs things up. Keep probing it when it's sluggish. Wake it up energy, rapture, get get a little bit of excitement going in there to, to warm it up. 
if it's too agitated, too excited, you don't need any more investigation. What you need is something like just the qualities of um, calming, steadying, and equanimity. So that it cools down. But he says mindfulness is always useful. So mindfulness acts then as the fundamental crucible that holds it. And then you keep reviewing what's the texture, what's the movement, uh, is it bright, is it flat, is it tense, is it agitated, so on. So then smoothing and cleaning it. Uh, um, naturally, you know, this, this using different, different approaches, different energies, different efforts, if you like, And getting what you need, you're getting from reviewing the nature of mind, you know, the, the, whether it's flat, heated, excited, stirred, dulled down. And as a final um, um, tip or guidance, in the um, book of the sixes, is a sutta where he talks about, the Buddha talks about, um, you need to sometimes restrain the mind. So these are paired factors. Sometimes it's appropriate to just check it, restrain it when it's just running out, restrain. So the mind is both a substance, but also it's a living substance, just like the body is. It's, 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 a, it's a living, and it's also able to respond. So it's an intelligent substance. If you check it, it will eventually oh, settle down. It's, it's capable of being trained. There are times when you need to just do the opposite. Instead of restraining it, push it. Come on, move it forward. Investigate, use investigation. And this exertion is associated with the flicking water onto it. And this is often associated not so much with um, concentration, but with wisdom. If you keep questioning, is that true? Is that so? What's that coming from? What's that feel like? Is this permanent and impermanent? Is it really what I am? So you keep kind of slapping or, hey, 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 you know? There's a certain exertion to clear off um, the dross to, to see these essential characteristics of changeability, not self, unsatisfactoriness. Um, and to, so, yeah, well, therefore, don't, you know, you, you, you don't get lost in it. So exertion is primarily the function of wisdom. Uh, whereas samadhi is mostly the function of, of settling restraining and letting things settle down. Exertion is mostly the function of discernment, investigation, uh, deep attention and so on. This is also an occasion where you need to gladden and encourage the mind. This is a warming effect. Just, uh, just that gentle nourishing, uh, supporting, ability to linger and be gladdened by 
the um, the work we have done and the fact that we have an occasion and the fact the mind can be settled to some degree or another. Now, if we don't have that occasion for gladdening and encouraging, and uh, then the mind is either strained, pushed forward too far, or suppressed. So this is a very much an encouragement to keep entering the process of Dhamma and uh, you know, linger in it. It sometimes takes time for these dross to be skimmed off. So lingering, gladdening and encouraging the mind. On looking with equanimity and being interested in refinement rather than in coarse things. Again, this is a recognition that of the kind of impact that happens to us. We can have the impact of the senses, which is generally fairly abrupt. Uh, as, you, as you suddenly get a hit of sight or sound or touch or taste or touch, and you, it really oh, catches, uh, catches the mind. So this refinement means this is something where the mind is not grabbed or struck, but subtly invited to enter in. And of course, the refinement is to do with qualities such as uh, goodwill, refinement. Uh, qualities that are much more innate to the mind itself, such as calm, goodwill, contentment, uh, virtue. Then these also are things that we can, we can take a pleasure in and be interested in and make our focus and receive happiness from. So you know, that constant encouragement to look that way don't yeah. and the last thing is that uh, one should take an interest in Nibbana rather than in personality identity the two is considered opposite identity view what am I where will I be how can I get what can I do Nibbana <laughs> self-effacement right yeah, there's no, there's no gaining and having in this. This, this, this attitude is already a corruption. Nibbana is the self-effacement, the release from that particular habit. So one takes an interest in how do I fade out? <laughs> how do, how does, how do I relinquish, you know, my status or my uh, you know, my possessions or relinquish holding on, relinquish control, relinquish domination, relinquish self-obsession you know, by focusing on the mind itself, the nature of mind and the qualities, skillful, unskillful, that need to be removed or encouraged and the qualities, skills, um, enlightenment factors that need to be enhanced and balanced to, to bring us around. So in this way, it's dhammas that meet dhammas and the melting and the merging and the liberation that comes around through dhammas meeting dhammas. So this is purification of view.
So, um, to sum up, keep uh, recognizing and looking into mental content to see the fundamental substance of the mind. Is it turgid? Is it is it occluded? Is it heated? Is it bubbling? Is it full of rubbish or what? Full of trash? Uh, consider ways to purify the fundamental substance of mind. Yeah. So the energy of the mind is level, steady, quiet. It's got a soft radiance to it. It's refined. When it's refined, then it is fit for the process of reviewing deeply and realizing Nibbana. So this is the encouragement. This is make your mind like gold. It can be. <laughs> Don't identify with the trash, <laughs> which is just what has to be there. Yeah, but we have to melt that down, and uh, uh, and skim it off with some adroit skills and uh, and finesse. Okay, so I'll stop there for this evening or this morning, wherever you are. And uh, we'll just spend the last few minutes recollecting or trying to bookmark any particular uh, ideas or signs that have been significant.